Okay, you all good? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Welcome back to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell here with Simon Delaney and this is episode 50, How to Buy Better Leads, a Lead Seller's Inside Track. And as you'll probably infer from that title, we're going to need the help of a lead seller today. And we have Ryan Berry from Cornerhouse Media on the call who is going to give you his inside track. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm fine, thank you. Very good indeed. Thank you uh, for joining the show. We appreciate it. I know we spoke briefly before this and it sounds like you're having a little bit of a, a stressful day, which you won't, you know, I won't go into and uh, sort of bring up those pains. You said you wanted an escape from the work, but um, <laughs> but you generally, uh, generally okay other than that. Uh, yes, absolutely fine. Thank you. Just to be clear on that point, I'm just simply dealing with the data exercise here, which means trawling through various log files, and it's not a lot of fun. So being able to talk about something that I do enjoy is a welcome break, certainly. Well, you know, hopefully this is okay escaping from that rather than like, I don't know, watching Netflix or something would be better for you, but, you know, not too far away. <laughs> um, so, Brian, um, firstly, thanks for, for joining us on the show. We appreciate it. Um, well, thank you. And as we're pitching this, a kind of a lead, a lead seller's inside track, I think will be... Um, pretty interesting for the people, especially for the lead buyers who might listen to this from a different perspective. Um, to kick us off, and you know, people listen to the show, we have a lot of lead buyers. Some might be quite experienced and some might be new to it, considering it for the first time. Yeah. What I kind of want to ask you is, from your perspective as a lead seller, is there a way different buyers should approach you to start, depending on their experience levels? Yes, uh, absolutely. So it's probably easier there to talk about buyers initially who are experienced with with buying leads. They they know what to expect. They know what can go wrong, and that is very important. And we'll touch upon those points uh, in a little bit more detail later. But um, I find that new buyers or buyers rather are completely new to to buying leads. Um, absolutely do not know what to expect. And there's no problem with that, but it means they're going to need a little bit of more of an onboarding uh, process with them and to help them and train them to understand. So for example, it was only about two weeks ago, I had a phone call from a prospective lead buyer. Um, they've never done that before. And I could see the expectation was that every single lead would be a successful lead. Now, the success there, I think, was, was being able to, to quote them for the product that, that they were wanting to look at. But, you know, we know in with more experience that that's never going to happen. So sitting down with a buyer and really making them understand what is a realistic approach for uh, buying leads, what they can see, and, and sometimes saying, no as well uh we've had it with buyers before prospective buyers where we've said look you know realistically leads are not going to work for you i cannot see a margin there for you so it's best perhaps that you don't do this if we look at more of the experienced buyers um you can you can definitely get things working a lot more quickly because they will already know what their average success looks like, be it the conversion rates from contact rate, quote, sale rate, things like, like that. And they can measure out against other lead buyers, sorry, uh, other companies that they buy from. Um, and then of course, see how you compare to them and grow over time. And there's something really helpful with 
with working with experienced buyers, which is that they will already know what the average consumer looks like for them. Now, that could be background, it could be age, it could be reasons, the motivation there for wanting a, a particular um, uh, item, for example. So if you know all of that, you can work with an experienced lead buyer to really learn about a sector. And the beauty about it is if you are going to onboard uh, companies that haven't bought leads before, at least you can take that experience and merge it onto, onto them, we find. So do you know when you have a new buyer and they have this expectation yeah. that there's going to be sort of success behind every lead, when you point out that there won't be and there's, you know, we're expecting X, Y and Z to happen, um, do you find that either scares them off or they sort of appreciate the honesty or how does it usually play out? Both. I do find the honesty is is very helpful. Um, something that, that, you know, we have always been here. We've tried to be as honest and transparent as we can. And there is a lot of stress involved, I think, that if both parties are not thinking the same thing or, or want success and it's not going, going to work. So there's probably about 50-50 there where, yes, it scares some off, but that's not a bad thing because it's not a business direction that's going to work for them. I'd much rather that they see some success in their business. Um, with others, they're more intrigued at that point to say, well, OK, fine, it's not what we thought it was, but you've clearly been doing this for a long time and it must work for somebody. So how can we get in on that? How can we learn? Can you help us? Yeah, I, it's funny, actually. I was on a call um, with one of our clients um, before we jumped on here. Um, we were talking about returns that they get from a, um, a client and then returning it to... So he was actually like an agency in the middle, so he's not generating leads. Um, so I said like what's the problem and he said it's um i can't return it back and what it's to do with it just didn't have the contracts aligned it's, it's so simple yes. do you know like yeah. it not actually clarified with the client what will be returned and then back to back that with uh, so this is and this is such a common problem isn't it because yeah. we go back to again someone that hasn't bought a lead before and uh we had one recently where i think it was something like the the husband had put a lead a, a lead through. The wife had answered, didn't know anything about it when, when this person was then contacted by the lead buyer. And the lead buyer wanted to return it because the person they spoke to was not the right person. And, you know, it's, yes, there's a little bit of a grey area and I can understand that, but all of these strange issues crop up and you need to predict these in advance. You need to codify these and certainly put them in a, in a contract. 100%. Just, just before we kind of move into to sort of the other areas, one thing I want to clarify there, I think it might seem simple, but I think it's worth clarifying for the, maybe for the new people listening. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about success, that is kind of a, a vague term in a sense, you know, like how, how, how do you measure success, I guess, is what I would try and want to ask from the perspective of a lead buyer. No, it's a great point because you are absolutely right. How, how do you do that when every buyer will have their own, their own way of seeing that? We have one buyer, for example, where a profit, a direct profit on leads, if you basically say cost of leads and then the income that, that they get over 12 months, um, they, can, they can basically have a loss from those leads because they know that a profit will come in the future um, through, through upsells and various other aspects. Uh, with other buyers, they effectively need to see a direct return on those, lead, on those leads within, say, one month. So sitting down and defining clearly and 
something I'll, I'll expand upon in a moment with that, but defining clearly what, what they really need to see. So the vanity metric side of things can be frustrating, but at the same time can be helpful. So we are looking at contact rate, quote rate, for example. Both of those are a good indication, perhaps, of what sale rate would be. If indeed you are trying to sell something, it may be that the lead is actually to send a brochure out, in which case you will you, one would have hoped that the lead buyer would have done the math on that and know that for every brochure they send out, roughly what the eventual sale conversion rate be. I mean, nobody's doing this to, to not make anything in the future, of course. There must be some financial incentive here. So we need to really sit down and, and, and figure what those are. But um, what we often find is that even that discussion with a lead buyer about what success looks like makes them think and suddenly they realize that perhaps they've not thought about that in enough detail so we then need to help them and say right let's just look at the basic maths here and you know how do we think this will will work um leads for example an average contact rate uh for corner house with various products for leads is about 70 75 percent something like that um so we say well okay of course that's a quarter of leads that are not really going to be worked and we can drill down and, and therefore look at quotes and and uh, sales after that but what we do find is quote rate for us so this is particularly for insurances uh, this is a sector that we are very heavily in we would define quote rate as the buyer has spoken to the lead uh, they've gone through the fact find and they eventually have a price and lots of insurances are expensive so they might want to go away for a few days and think about it and chat with the uh, family there. Um, for us that's very very clear. Uh, we have had an issue occasionally with buyers where the definition of quote rate I always thought was what I said but a buyer can see it in a different way and if somebody goes through a fact find and they are quoted, but then it turns out that actually they're not, they cannot buy that. There might be an issue in their postcode or their age or some other disqualifying uh, factor so they can uh, you know, purchase that uh, item. Uh, that lead may then be classed as never went to quote. And it's very, very difficult because we need to know the quote rate to understand on our side how a marketing campaign is, is working. We may have some marketing campaigns that are converting very well for the lead buyer and some marketing campaigns that are not. And quote rate is a wonderful way to measure that. So again, making sure you're speaking the same language, you may be using the same words, but are you using the same language? This is a problem more frequently perhaps than one would expect. It's funny you mentioned it. I was on LinkedIn. There's a guy called um, from Form Toro. I think the company's called called John Ivanko. I don't know if you know him. No, it's not a name that rings a bell. No, but he keeps putting on LinkedIn about this thing about unit economics, right? Where he's talking about his his big thing is in e-commerce. They build forms, you know, like survey forms in the e-commerce sure. sites. So I was sitting reading what he was talking about his unit economics. I was thinking, like, what is he banging on about unit economics constantly? It's like, you know, you've got to get it sorted out. And it suddenly occurred to me from one of the posts that he put, and he, he specifically talked about leads, and he said that agencies are tasked with getting leads for companies this he's talking about like a, in a large agency sense like um i don't know starcom or something sure. um but they have no idea of the unit economics no one's ever bothered to find out 
what success looks like. They're literally counting the lead as a success and no one knows how many leads it takes to get that success. Nobody, nobody knows like the 75% that you mentioned, how many drop off and so what you can almost eradicate immediately yes. as an average. And so it, it was the terminology he was using. So in my, I suddenly thought, well, everyone who runs lead generation sort of knows yeah. this, right? Because you sort yeah. of like, it's, but it is unit economics and a lot of, I think it's inexperienced buyers don't work that out as well. No, it, it, it really shocks me. Um, I probably experienced something, you know, some issue around that general topic and, and concept, if not weekly, certainly monthly. But I think from, from an ownership point of view, a company that you own, you would feel that um, because it is your either your sole income or a decent part of it, that that many owners would look at exactly what they need to you know to to do well. And it surprises me how cannot say infrequently that happens because who who knows? But just as an example, there um, an offline one. But someone I knew a long long time ago, he opened an ice cream shop um, in uh, in Spain. And this business was doing very, very poorly. Um, and I met him him about three months into the opening of the shop. And we got talking about work and what I do and, and, and so on. And I thought, actually, maybe I can help a little bit here. And uh, I was saying, so based on what you need to do, uh, how many items per day would you need to sell? What's your profit margin, blah, blah, blah. He had never worked it out once. Of course, the business then failed in about month four, month five. But he honestly and he put in about sixty thousand pounds, which at the time I think was his entire life uh, savings there. And he put that in, and he said, "No, well, I thought I'd just open this shop. It's a franchise, so I'd take on the franchise and be at the beach every day." Um, and one would think that that's a bit of a playful example but it's very very true and this happens online and it happens with leads and it happens in the finance sector so if we can you can educate and i can educate people you know lead buyers into hey you need to model all of this out then i would hope that people would be a little bit more successful there yeah, it's, I, I found it astonishing as well when I realised what he was talking about. I realised, well, that's why he keeps banging on about it, because he's realised a lot of people aren't measuring it. And I just found, I was like, my God, why are they buying leads if they're not measuring what they're actually like, what success looks like at the end of it? But this, um, the, I mean, the, the, there was something I was I wanted to talk about a little bit later, but actually I think this is this is really good time. Um, the problem that you then have is that when you model things out, are you modelling the right thing? Because there's something that I, I, I drive everybody mad here, actually, uh, constantly using a, a phrase, which is spreadsheetitis, or we'll start again there, uh, spreadsheetitis. And the problem with that is that many people these days know how to make, how to have a spreadsheet made, how to make one themselves. Um, and we can all see that when you put, for example, okay, you know, in cell A1, you've got 10 and in cell uh, B1, you've got two and you say, well, 10 times two is 20. It is, but is that true in the business that you work? Or are you just making up numbers as you go along to model? So there are so many aspects that we need to think about. Um, and simply being able to calculate something in a spreadsheet doesn't mean that that calculation has any real world value. And that could be a problem as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, so we talked, I think, again, it might be a good time to bring this up because um, we sort of talked about it a little bit there. But 
just sort of for clarity, you, you mentioned kind of the, the, the idea of lead pricing um, yeah. from the perspective of the brand. Is it, you know, is that something we can sort of, like you were saying, to educate people listening? Can we kind of clarify a little bit what we mean by that and how buyers should approach that? Yeah, I think that there's a very human approach and it is completely understandable. We all do it in our uh, personal lives. We want to buy something for the lowest price. And I think if you are dealing with, with offline goods, a, a tangible item, you can measure the quality of something. So, you know, sometimes we are prepared to pay a little bit more for that meal out or that particular uh, coat, for example, uh, because we know that the quality is higher. Um, when you were dealing with leads online, one could conceivably say, well, a lead is a lead and this is simply a record it is simply you know data of somebody that has shown an interest you would hope they've shown an interest anyway uh in the product that you sell so therefore why why shouldn't i want to pay the lowest price um what we see is that the price of a lead is almost not quite but almost irrelevant to success in terms of um the cost per sale for example so a really simple example here is you might have um a uh, a lead which is what let's say five pounds uh, per lead if that converts um, at let's say five percent to sale then it's going to cost you 100 pounds um for um uh, for your your actual sale for the amount of leads that you've got and then per sale but what if you were to pay uh 30 pounds per sale and one in uh, per lead sorry and one in three convert that's now 90 pounds per sale so your business would be better off you are requiring sales for 90 pounds rather than 100 and this is definitely better but it looks on the face of it that five pounds versus 30 why on earth would you pay 30 pounds it would terrify anybody in terms of cash flow and everything else um so that is something that we do find often has to be explained because there will always be uh, in any industry companies that um, go for the lowest price it's not something that we do here because we cannot achieve uh, high quality leads uh, at the lowest market price is just not gonna, going to uh, happen. But there is something else with lead pricing that does not get talked about or has not historically been talked about, but I have seen changes in the last six months. Um, and you, you guys have frequently spoken about this, which is wonderful, which is a compliant lead uh, uh, that takes every box that a buyer would need. So that is, of course, on the data protection side, but per perhaps on an advertising standards point, point of view as well. Um, and then any other license that says that are needed for a sector, all of that comes at a cost. And so it can put a lead price up a little bit, but you know that that compliant lead is not going to cause any regulation issues for your, for your business. You are not going to have any fines coming in. Um, and can you be sure of that with, if we're just looking at lead price rather than the performance of, can you be sure of that with a very, very cheap lead? Um, I think you would find it difficult to, to, to confirm that. Mm. There's also this thing of like the consent and intent that I think people um, mistake sometimes. So, so well, because I agree, in order to get like full consent amongst everywhere it needs to be, there's a there obviously needs to be a price to it but then i 100 percent i think people fall for yeah. if it's a consented leads it means it's a potential buyer and that doesn't 
translate. Yeah. It just means you can legally contact them. And not only that, if you have a large workforce that are going to work these leads, the, you know, if you, if you have a high number of leads coming through that are very, very cheap, the, the conversion rates, the quality we discussed before and the metrics you need, if they are not there and not achieving what you want, your workforce is not going to be happy. They're going to want to leave because every day is going to feel like a drudge and not have a positive feeling to it. That is quite expensive as well to go through training again. And actually, even if you don't do it as an expensive thing, you just say, I'm not happy that my staff are not happy. I mean, let's have a bit of a nicer world. So, you know, that is something else you can measure out, but sometimes just have a good feeling about it. You know, so let's go for the con- go for content here and make sure that the leads are as they should be. I think when that happens, it's usually... Um, so brand will outsource their sales to a yeah. call center and then the call center is by the leads but what happens is the um the outsource sales center has its own agenda rightly or wrongly oh, absolutely and their own agenda is to do with the success of that call center and the uh, i don't know if this happens as much now i think the world has sort of changed a little bit and covid mm-hmm. is probably you know people working from home has changed this a bit but a lot of theirs has been headcount has been seen as success so the more bodies you get yeah. sat in a, a warehouse, you know, the uh, and the, it's a good owner, analogy. the owner can look out and see these hundreds of people sitting there. But what is actually happening is they're not going to spend £30 a lead. They'll yeah. pay 15p a lead, get the consent, and then they um, all the work has to be done by the salesperson, which basically means calling 30 people and getting 30 no's and the occasional yes. Yeah. Um, and the brand is all they've done is they've basically shipped out their sales so they're sort of removed from it and what they're interested in is compliance so this mm-hmm. thing of like that what people are having to do you know with this churn rate of 50 percent of the call center might have and whatever else they're oblivious to all that as long as we don't want any complaints as in from yeah. a consent and basis this is, and this is really sad that there are so many sectors that do the same thing if you can offshore something or outsource something from a consent point of view or any regulation point so it doesn't come back to you and and you know I, I'm, I'm old enough to realize that the the world is sadly like that but for me it's um a case of making sure the companies that you work work with have aligned incentives aligned goals and and an aligned ethos as well um and i think bear in mind that you know the 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 title of the podcast here is is from the buyer's perspective really helping them they need to be chatting to multiple companies who sell leads and go off a little bit of the feeling there. you know, is this a company that is basically doing what you've just said? Um, or are they trying to, to have an ethical stance here and make the leads work for you, but also make sure that every, every other box is, is ticked as well. So sometimes just have those conversations and try to understand if it is a, a good fit for your company. 100%. So, um, I'm not sure when we'll release this exactly, but at the time of recording, it's January 12th, and we've got all of 2022 before us. Um, for lead buyers listening to this, what would you recommend from your perspective? Is it good, the good kind of channels to exploring and looking for leads, the types of leads you should be looking for right now? Um, you know what, actually, just going back to what I just said um, about get a good feeling from someone that you can buy leads from. Um, I think the channel focus is 
the the channel focus is um, almost the single topic that I hear frequently from buyers um, who are only focused on this and of course the cost as well. But it's channel channel every single time, and it's basically, hey, are your leads native? Are they social? Are they are they search? Um, completely um, sometimes not wanting to hear out more detail about them they just want to know where these leads from a channel are sourced from my opinion um and the opinion of 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 uh, corner house really is that the channel is far less important than i think buyers understand and it's more about the customer experience and the brand um and we all look at this idea of if it's a single channel then the performance must be intrinsically linked to that so if it's a native lead it will convert to x if it's a search lead it will convert at y rather than are all of these channels talking to each other as one? And we look at our personal lives, and this is the bit that drives me crazy, that in the lead generation industry, we don't seem to be able to extrapolate out what we do outside of work and then apply it to work. It's as if we live in this little siloed world. So for me, if you see an ad on, uh, you know, outdoors on a... A, a cab or a taxi, a cab or a taxi, good grief, right? A cab or a bus, let's say, for example. Uh, an Uber. A, and <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, or then a radio ad. But then later you see a YouTube ad, a Facebook ad, and you finally click to convert on the search ad. We know from a tracking point of view that the search ad is very likely to get the credit for that. However, your journey and your awareness of that brand has come from all of those different sources. And that may happen over two days. It may happen over two months. It may happen over a very, very long period of time. So for me, I would, as a lead buyer, I'd look at a seller and say, okay, what is the consumer journey here? What is the what is the experience going to look like? Is that lead, for example, going to come from a um, a full marketing campaign across many different channels and a brand? Because to, I mean, to me, this is the only future of of lead gen. It has to go down a a branded route, but. Um, I'd be looking at that and not have a myopic view of, is this a native lead? Okay, fine. I don't want to know anymore. When you say branded um, yeah. route, what do you mean? I think that um, the online lead generation sector has had a history of temporary websites. So um, certainly back in the early 2000s, you know, I, I think people would have the domain name. Let's say this was on uh, search, for example. So the leads were directly and exclusively only coming from search engines like Google. Um, it would be, you know, insurance for less 2000.co.uk, for example, a very throwaway domain name. There is no consumer feeling or, you know, sentiment there towards that. And it would simply be, if I get that person to click and one in three convert, I'm going to be able to sell this lead and make a margin. I feel that consumers are not comfortable with that anymore, and nor should they be. Um, again, go back to what I said about what we do offline or indeed online, but in our personal lives, we all we can all spot websites where we're not comfortable going to put our details in there. Is there a branded spend behind it? Is there uh, transparency there? I can see who owns it or a board or something about that that suggests to me, hey, this is a company that I'm that I'm happy to, you know, happy to uh, put my uh, details in with. Um, and so anything that increases that consumer confidence 
which I think only branded uh, a tank can do. And that means obviously trying to advertise that brand, not necessarily advertising for leads, advertising that brand, getting awareness out there and ultimately making people feel more uh, comfortable. Mm. Yeah, no, this is something we believe is uh, completely as well. It's, I think it's like a regular thing that we talk about, which is like lead generators need to become brands and brands need to become lead yeah. generators. But um but this goes back to, I mean, I can see off your shoulder there some of your, your books. Uh, it's a great bookshelf, by the way. And you have an advertising that book. That old thing. Uh, yeah. Um, and the advertising book I can see there uh, is not actually one that I own. It will be in about half an hour's time when I order it. But um, that's interesting because that is an advertising book, yet we are discussing Legion. And to me, they are the same thing. But it's surprising that people see Legion and marketing or lead gen and advertising there's two separate things they're not no it's the same Even yeah. marketing strategy yeah mm. i see it's something and it's when people call lead gen an industry as well i always think it's not an industry it's just it's a method of marketing it's i like, am guilty of that and please do not go back in this podcast and count the amount that no because i i do it as well but you know if someone asks me it's one of those things where i'll say it but if i hear someone else say it, i'll go it's not an industry it's just like it's marketing <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I think that, and it gets lost. I think it's, it is because it has been a bit like an industry because it's been like very focused on certain niches and there's been like a pool of people um, that yeah. carry it out because you'll, you know, what you typically have, so a brand would have a marketing campaign or an advertising campaign and they'd either farm it out to an agency or um, yeah. do it internally. And what will happen is the agency will pick a load of stuff up, for example, but then the lead gen part will get siloed off into like its own yeah, department yeah. or yeah. out to an affiliate network is what always used to happen. Yes. And if it's brand internal, they'll have all the marketers running it and then they'll suddenly silo a bit off to an agency to run the lead gen bit when really it's, it is just an element of a marketing mix. It's like the, yes. it, it's a bit more at the cold front, but it's, um, you know. Yeah, and I, I think that, I'm even just from a company point of view, I think if you go down the, I think it's Spotify who have done this. I just, I cannot think what it's called at the minute, but basically where your company is split into almost rival teams um, and those teams compete in order to, to make the company stronger, but it may be from an end, engineering point of view one team comes up with a great idea uh a b team comes up with something else and working separately can make the company stronger in advertising and like you said marketing if we look at marketing strategy and then silo that out to lead gen i don't think these should be separated out it should be one whole team that yes fine you may have separate meetings but one whole team so that that clear strategy is is across every single uh, team or the departments that you have it's not going to work like an engineering uh, structure to to a company would be and speaking of on that point ryan why is your website so bad it's terrible isn't it <laughs> do you know <laughs> i got a message from someone earlier and i've heard this from a few people so i don't mean to blow smoke up your ass but it's i've had heard from several people that um Ryan is one of the best lead generators in the UK um, mm. and the most knowledgeable. And so I've, I've heard this a while ago and I've had it like told to me a few times. And then I'd look at your website and go, he's got to be good with that website. Okay, so <laughs> let's answer this in, in two ways. Uh, the best answer is the one that you've just said. Uh, so basically we've been that busy uh, for years working on, on the projects and the clients that we have 
word of mouth is the greatest driver for us business that comes comes into corner house and it's terrible i talk about marketing all day long and yet the corner house uh, brand is not is not strong and i absolutely get that if we arrogantly speaking here if we needed to do that and we and we, and we do but it's it's um we we've been working on projects and not working on the company brand it is basically as straightforward as that uh what is the plan for 2022 it is of course to relaunch that uh, that idea and word of mouth is great but it would be nice to put ourselves forward a little bit more um and that will mean you know our brand has to be stronger online so it is it is a big project uh it was actually a project project uh for the summer of 2020 and i don't know what happened in 2020 there was something you'll you'll have to remind me but it's absolutely a focus soon yes but just to be clear this does not affect the quality of the leads that we uh that we send them yeah, yeah I'd, I'd argue the same it probably makes it better it's funny you mention it because um we used to own an agency before we started dateable called media Bowl, which was the name sort of just transferred um and we never had a website and the company yeah. went for seven eight years i think and it was exactly the same we were so focused on yes. doing the work we were doing and everything was word of mouth and whatever else that it it's just that took um, a... you know i think sometimes it's you you basically put a price on okay if we if we rebrand or simply improve that and have a brand new new site what's the cost of that mm. for something that isn't necessarily necessary at that moment in time but for the plans that we've got, not only for, for 2020, 22, but pretty much the next three years or so, we will need to have a far heavier branded <laughs> uh, site and, and just look better. So I do accept that. <laughs> I feel like so you've, you've, like, you've told him off now. Uh, this is not the kind I know, of I feel like you would well. <laughs> No, I just thought, I thought we'd go over it while we were talking no, about advertising. Well, <laughs> it's a good around, point to uh, say it. To the fact that, yeah, just to, to reiterate I, on the point, you've heard, I, you've heard great things about the Yeah, game. exactly. For me personally, I actually really like it because it just reminds me of what we, we did because part of it was like, it was almost just a secondary thought. It'd be like, man, we haven't got time to do that. We're too focused yeah. on all this yeah. work. And I, I get it completely. I also think that there's the, I don't know if you have ever seen this, that we, uh, I, I have a graph that I've I've seen online a few times, which is basically a, what what uh, success looks like. And, and people think that it's a, say, straight line growth on the graph where pretty much it's a squiggle and it's going in every di direction ever. And it's like a 10 year thing. And, you know, we've been doing lead generation since around 2013. And, um, you know, it takes a long time to really understand the processes that you have and the, the buyers are happy with those and then working into other branded ideas and projects as well. So you end up doing that and put in the clients first every time um, and not yourselves and your site. And um, I think we're very fortunate that we haven't needed to do that and had to prioritize, of course, on, on internal projects. But uh, yeah, it will be fun to, to redo that, I think. Cool. I like. I think that's a nice point to end on. Putting the clients first. I think that's a good way of uh, a good way of spinning it for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just to be around. So yeah, one one final question, Ryan, which I definitely wanted to ask about before before we um, end this because we've, we've covered loads of really interesting stuff. Um, but it's something we've seen a few times um, on various things you've posted and talked about, and and it's this idea of like randomness in lead buying, um, yeah. which is a little bit of a vague term. So I kind of wanted to maybe ask you to just sort of just to kind of wrap this up to explain. Uh, so to end yeah, on sure. to explain that would be quite cool way to finish things up. I think. Yeah. No. Thank you. Um, randomness is the 
is one of the biggest factors that affects the, the happiness, affects the success of, of the buyer uh, with the leads that they buy. Yet it's the least talked about. It's the least understood. Uh, I've been told in meetings before now that, that it's simply not important and we, we, we have to ignore it. Yet it drives everything. So what I talk about with randomness is if we measure this, the success of leads. So here we will talk about sale rates, for example. And... Um, companies will basically measure the success rate of these leads far too early. There is no statistical significance at all. But we go back to my point earlier, the whole spreadsheet-itis thing, that because they can calculate it in Excel, they can say, well, we've had 200 leads and we've had X amount of sales, but that is under the target or the internal average that that company has. So your leads are not performing. What is never discussed is, can you truly calculate that off the number of leads that you have uh, sent? And I bore everybody senseless. And I know people are skipping the podcast now as I'm saying this. Um, but I know that we can understand this in very basic terms. We understand, understand this with coin flips, for example. We understand this with, the, uh, with, with sports. If you have something that is eight or nine months long in, uh, in, in sport, say, say the Premier League, for example, August to uh, May time, uh, we know that we have to ignore all how the league table looks in August and September because it's not going to stabilise. And this is, not, this is nothing to do whether, with whether teams are playing very well and not playing very well. It's just it's completely random. If you played four games, who who really cares if you're top or bottom? Um, and with coin flips, that's very, very easy. If we flip a coin 10 times, even if we get heads, let's say, eight times, that's not evidence that the coin is weighted. Um, and we're very, very happy to explain that uh, in simple terms and say, yeah, but if I flipped it 100 times or 1,000 times, I know it will be roughly uh, half and, and half. With leads, we don't. And I think the difference there is because if a lead buyer is indeed doing that, they are buying leads, there's money at stake here. And when there's money at stake, we get stressed. The de the decisions we try to make, um, we do with not the right amount of data and we try and do it really, really quickly. So you will get a buyer um, basically confirming either way whether leads are working or not with 50 leads or 100 leads. And there are ways to calculate this. And I, I'm slowly... Um, explaining this to buyers and saying, well, at your average conversion rate, you would really need, let's say, 800 leads or 2,000 leads in order to confidently say, yep, your conversion rate is roughly about this. Um, when it's a small amount of leads, you can't do it. So, you know, just because you can calculate it as a number, as a value, this over this, doesn't mean that it is this over this. Uh, we need a lot more data. It's really interesting you mention it as well because we run some um, machine learning stuff. Yeah. And you know from running that at what point it makes sense. And it's yeah. a lot more records than anyone ever thinks it is because you can't, it, it's, there's too many statistical anomalies. Yes. I mean, our average we were looking at is like, it's similar to what you said, it's about 2,000 to 4,000 records until you can confidently say, we think that if a, basically what we were trying to do is work out when a lead comes in what's the potential chance of it converting based on all the other leads that yeah. look like that one yeah um and you just can't do it without a lot of data and it's the same with the conversion rates evidently it really is and the other problem with that is is because we are human we have a narrative to it as well and if we look at data too early 
every subsequent time that you look, you'll have a narrative in your head about whether the, uh, whatever you're trying to do, whether it is going to, to improve or whether it will go back down to an average. So that, that, that narrative bias around it is a real problem as well. Um, and I always feel that with any A-B test or any large amount of data, I mean, really do not look until it is completely done and at the, the very, very end of it, because you'll save a lot of stress, a lot of internal stress on, oh, good grief, the conversion rate is this and it needs to get to this. There is no such thing as needs to get to. It's simply we need to run the significant amount of data and mm. we will see where it is at that moment in time and not before. Just one quick question before we go. Um, mm. So in terms of corner house, do you run do you buy leads as well or is it all internal how does this how do you everything, actually run? yeah everything is internal here so buying leads is something that you know from a from a very cold point of view if we buy leads we are enabling a competing company so that would not make make sense but the biggest thing for us is the transparency side of it I know where our leads come from. I feel that Corner House is very good at, at generating quality leads. And I can prove all of that, of course, with, with lead buyers. If I, if I buy leads from a network or a broker, I don't know that for certain. And I would rather the Corner House is the go-to company for the sort of leads that we've spoken about um, and with full control on that in-house. Makes complete sense. Well, Brian, we've covered absolutely tons of really interesting stuff there. Um, it's been really, really fun, interesting. Thank you. I think it was really interesting approaching it, sort of to the benefit of the lead buy, but from your perspective as a lead seller, I think it's sure that's given some really interesting insights, which I think is come you know is new to what I've done the podcast so far. So I think um, yeah, people listening will have, find tons of really good stuff in there. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. So we really appreciate it. Um, that was episode fifty: How to Buy Better Leads and Lead Sellers in Sidetrack. Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.